just encourage you not to pander to the Twitter sphere and really the haters, you know, um, they like to drink their haterade and eat their hater tots. You go looking for trouble or does it always find you? You guys all think I'm a hero and I'll accept that responsibility. One of the greatest ideas in human history. This is the Brian Suits Show. Uh-huh. I am Subsidy KTTH. Brian Suits here and there's a new report out by the Department of Justice about the Uvalde, Texas uh, shooting. And, and and I gotta say, I mean, from everything that I know about that has been confirmed in, in this uh, new report, and that is, it, it seems like tactically the school district chief of police had you know a, a, a district police department like like many do. Seattle does not have Seattle schools police, but uh, many many big and small towns do. The guy had a situation in his on, on one of his campuses. He didn't take charge, didn't make it clear that he was in tactical command, and he put out incorrect information that he should have known better at the time. He put out because you're seeing this video today of you know the body cam and the surveillance video of the cops just apparently standing around because he put out the word that it was a hostage situation, that it was a standoff, and. You know, without, you know, you weren't there. You weren't the first guy there. The chief wasn't either. The chief was told what was going on. And he pulled out from there that, well, this is going to be a negotiation. It's a it's a standoff. So he had, you know, cops were showing up. They know that, you know, 20 years of training and uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures are you confront the shooter immediately. Um, and they would have done that. Th- that was their inclination and training. Um, and it wasn't until the off-duty Border Patrol guys showed up uh, and they were hearing shots that he was taken down. And there was the in the interim, uh, you have you know elementary school kids calling nine one one, describing uh, one one girl. There's a heartbreaking tape. You know, a girl saying. I'm surrounded by dead bodies, uh, and that one girl had hid, and the whole thing. And it's a gigantic screw-up that, tactically, that sounds like it could have been led differently by that chief if he had said, if he had passed on what his cops said, his first guys, if they had said single guy with a uh, M4 carbine-style weapon or whatever, but uh, so anyway, uh, that's I just hate uh, they they always sort of uh, re uh, retread the same uh, the same territory. Well, finally, um, I can stop my hunger strike. Um, well, we'll see. Pierce Brosnan has pled not guilty to hiking illegally at Yellowstone. If it's possible to hike illegally, then you can lock me up and throw away the key. <clears throat> he didn't say. Um, Pierce Brosnan has pleaded not guilty to hiking in a restricted area of Yellowstone National Park, according to court documents filed this month in federal court. The actor faces two. You know, you have to you have to enter not guilty. What's the fine though? Um, it, now, is it illegal to hike in certain places in Yellowstone just because it's dangerous? Because I know you could fall in one of those sinkholes or like that's those the main reason. Things, yeah. Um, and and it's, you know it's big because every year. Every year, some guy, <laughs> every year, someone walks over to, like, Old Faithful and dips his toe in there and, oh, falls in. There was a story a couple of years ago where a guy in front of his sister fell in, 
super boiling water, and she sat there and watched as the boiling water does what it does to your turkey carcass the day after Thanksgiving. Old faithful roulette. It flayed him. Um, the actor phase, and this is where, you know, Libertarian Brian says, don't put up signs. Let someone that's stupid go find out. Darwin Awards? Yeah, and uh, it's like, uh, it's, uh, you know, n nature's sterilization. The Mammoth Terraces area at Yellowstone is famous for its fountains and hot springs, and that's where he might closure violation. Mammoth Terraces, foot travel in a thermal area. Both incidents occurred November 1. By the way, Yellowstone's beautiful in the winter. <clears throat> uh, check it out. But, uh, yeah, you got to pay your fines on, on, on that thing. So he's going to say not guilty, and he's a celebrity, and so it, it'll be a slap on the wrist. He's going to be, like, picking up litter or something, like, or, like whatever you got to do to do that. What's, uh, where's he in your pantheon of James Bonds? I thought he wasn't bad. I'd say top three. You think that's giving him too much credit? <clears throat> I, I think he'd be he'd be in my top three. I would I would go obviously Connery, but yeah, the original. But uh, the thing is, uh, Pierce Brosnan had a had you know he was sort of humorous and all that. And, I mean, the, the, he he had the correct sort of uh, you know dash and uh, upper class sort of bit that Ian Fleming meant for the role. Most underrated Bond. The the guy most unlike. Ian Fleming's James Bond was Daniel Craig, who I think is, is yeah. one of my favorite James Bonds. I think he's terrific. I actually uh, love Timothy Dalton's performance. Not bad. I know he wasn't bad. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't re, re up him. But he he would he'd walk in the hot spring in Yellowstone. Um, he, but uh, the most underrated Bond, of course, was the only Australian to ever play James Bond, and in the movie where where Telly Savalas was Blofeld. Are we on the same page? Uh, oh, yes, Hugh Jackman, my favorite. No, George Lazenby. Oh, oh, got it. Okay. The, a a one-hit wonder, James Bond. Um, and, and, and then at one point, he, uh, um, he, he looked at the camera and said, this didn't happen to the other fellow. It was like an inside joke. That's the only, also the only uh, James Bond that got married was uh, that James Bond in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, cool story. Brosnan was, he was older than Wayne. I think he aged out of the role, and that, that's what it was. Uh, the documents do not give us details into the events of November 1, the the controversial events uh, of, of uh, November 1 of last year. He's 70 now, alleged to have violated restrictions in place at the park. He he is he is a young 70. Um, and so so that would mean he was like 50 when he was bond. Uh, so anyway, there we go. Any free free Pierce. That's what I say. And uh, no, no Pierce, no peace. Um, and, uh, um, and stuff. And so anyway, and that's, that's my pause uh, on that one. So, uh, big doings uh, between Iran and Pakistan. And I'm, I'm going to master this name, uh, because the woman gives the, the name of the operation. Iran struck the territory of Pakistan with rockets aimed at anti-Iranian uh, terrorists that are, are sort of in in um, sanctuary in Pakistan. Pakistan is not breaking a sweat, rounding up anti-Iranian terrorists. Meanwhile, in Iran, they're not breaking a sweat, breaking up anti-Pakistan terrorists. So they basically did an exchange of dead, dead terrorists that no one likes anyway. Um, so what happened was the day before yesterday, the spokesperson for the Ministry of Affairs accuses Iran of doing bad stuff. Last night, unprovoked and blatant breach 
of Pakistan's sovereignty by Iran is a violation of international law and the purposes and principles of the Charter of the United Nations. This illegal act is completely unacceptable and has no justification whatsoever. Pakistan reserves the right to respond to this illegal act. And so, and they, they, so they did in Operation Marg Bar Sarmarchar. I'm reading it phonetically. It's three words, Marg Bar Sarmakar. And, and so uh, rolls off the tongue like uh, just cause or something there, doesn't it? So I don't know what it means in Urdu, but it must mean something. I'm sure it means something. Not, not quite uh, overlord uh, on that. And so today the spokesperson comes out and talks about Pakistan gets to strike back. And, and what's funny is uh, no matter what anyone, any peacenik would say about, hey, don't you got to de-escalate this. Pakistan de-escalated it by escalating it. Morning. Pakistan undertook a series of highly coordinated and specifically targeted precision military strikes against terrorist hideouts in Sistano Baluchistan province of Iran. A number of terrorists were killed during the intelligence-based operation codenamed Markbar Sarmachar. There you go. Yeah, I don't roll my R's like she does, but uh, I will I'll master. Okay, so this trade of attacks between Iran and Pakistan, for us onlookers, the layperson, leaves a lot of us wondering, does this have broader implications for the regional conflict in the Middle East? Or are we just hearing more about these trading of jabs because we're on high alert due to what's happening in Gaza? Right I think now? we're Westerners, and we think that any time people cross swords, it only means that you're at war and it gets bigger, and Pakistan's a mm -hmm. nuclear power. Um, and 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 thing two, we don't understand how how they operate there. That they're transactional, and like the Iranians probably practically said, okay, now you do one. I mean, it's like it's like two Finnish slap fighters. You know, one walks up and does the first slap, and then the other one slaps him and knocks him out or whatever. The the Pakistanis said, well, uh, let me retort. Well, we happen to have a terrorist compound on your territory. There's nine guys that we know are there right now. Can we kill them? Because we're going to. And they didn't ask permission because the Iranians didn't ask permission to kill the anti-Iranian uh, terrorists in, on Pakistani soil, who, by the way, I guarantee you the CIA has a piece of that because that's where we put our anti-Iranian guys in either Afghanistan or uh, in Pakistan. But the Pakistanis said, you know, uh, then let me retort. And they took out nine guys. And that's it. And that's it. It's over. The Iran-Pakistan uh, escalating war uh, lasted 48 hours. And, but for Western media, it's, well, things are going boom. And the Pakistanis escalated. They didn't escalate. They just, the airstrike doesn't escalate over the Iranians shooting ballistic missiles. If you want to escalate it and Pakistan shoots a ballistic missile, you don't want that, uh, that can't, you don't want to see how that ends. But, uh, I mean, it, it is odd that um, there is such a thing as nuclear powers that can go to war without using nuclear weapons. And, and, and this is... This week, the bulletin of the atomic scientists is going to come out with their doomsday clock. They're always they're they're such panicky. They're panicky peaks. Let me guess. We're are. inching closer to midnight. Oh, always are. Yeah, and no, we're not. Believe it or not, if anything, this backs us off. There's nothing. There's no chance of a nuclear conference. If if Pakistan 
is known as the deliberative, calm, take a deep breath country, and they have nuclear weapons. I mean, keep it. Keep in mind, Pakistan and India are both nuclear powers. Pakistan got the nuclear weapons because India has nuclear weapons. They've gone to war, but never with nuclear weapons. They've gone to war without escalating. They're they're and and um, in America, we're we're very very deliberative about the process of using nuclear weapons. We have no idea what the Pakistani. A, you know, a nuclear weapon release authority is uh, because they, they their nuclear weapons are all in ballistic missiles. You know, they don't have a nuclear uh, uh, de sub-deterrent or anything. And we don't know how they have the, uh, does the National Command Authority walk around with a, a red cell phone? We don't know. They don't, they don't tell us. Um, it's suspected that the weapons are actually in local command. They're treated like an artillery round or something. And, and and so we, we have no idea how the Iranians would do it, but if the Iranians can attack a nuclear power without any fear of retaliation, then they probably think that's how it works uh, or something. It is now 90 seconds to midnight. Is that from today? I think that was last year. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, now we're going to be 80 seconds. That means nothing. And by the way, just because you're a scientist, just because you're a geologist... Doesn't mean you know anything more about you know wh whether Putin would irradiate um, Ukrainian grain or wh or what India's uh, red line is for nuclear weapons or China or France or or whatever it 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 and and they've changed it to global catastrophe by the way the closest it has ever been to midnight and midnight is global catastrophe but it's always dark as before the dawn yeah. So, I mean, it's all, and then it's always given such weight. It's always very weighty. And they come out there with lab coats. <laughs> it's such performative uh, hooey. It's kabuki. They come out there, the two guys have clipboards and lab coats, and the one guy takes the minute hand and he adjusts it. It's really, it's not, what, what'd she say, 90 seconds midnight? Move the hands of the doomsday clock forward. It is now 90 seconds to midnight. It's about 11.07. At night, that, that's that's what it is. I mean, it, it, it's odd, but the Chinese, the Russians, the United States, we look more closely at de-escalating um, stuff right during a time like this. It, it it looks to the outside, to to the dilettante, it looks like oh, it's so tense. We have our aircraft carriers floating in the water and stuff or whatever. And Pakistan hit Iran. Uh, you know what? Pakistan had to hit Iran. That's how that part of the world works. They're transactional. They probably bought, you know, a, a couple of years of, of uh, good good feelings or what you look, you know, and they, they let us bomb their, their territory. Pakistan probably had a hit on these guys for a while. The Iranians probably had, had asked the Pakistanis, hey, can you whack these guys for us? The Pakistanis didn't do it. A anyway, I, do, I don't want to uh, go too, too, uh, too uh, deep. In, in the weeds on this. Well, Kamala was on The View. Do you care? I saw some clips. Highlights um, and lowlights. She's afraid. They're afraid of crazies. See, and this is this is the opposite of Jamie Dimon, the CEO of Chase, saying, look, don't, don't lump 75 million people in with some shirtless guy from Arkansas sitting in Nancy Pelosi's chair. These people voted for Trump because Trump had some good points. But to, and not that I care about anyone on The View, but uh, this, I think it's just important to see yourself the way they see you.
Sounding uh, Democrats are sounding the alarm behind closed doors. Uh, President, well, let's talk a little bit about how you're going to go after the other side. Sure. Because some heavy-hitting uh, Democrats are sounding the alarm behind closed doors. Uh, President Obama reportedly has said that he thinks the Biden campaign is too complacent when it comes to Trump. Uh, Representative Jim Clyburn has said the campaign isn't breaking through the MAGA wall. Um... Is right about when I say, is there a question coming? Michelle Obama says she's terrified, as we are, uh, about the potential outcome of the election. Now, are, are you scared, first of all, what could happen if Trump ever became, God forbid, president again? And what are you going to do to stop the crazies? I am scared as heck. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I'm traveling our country. You know, there's an old saying that there are only two ways to. I'm glad she didn't go blue on that one. To run for office. And then she says something absolutely worthless and forgettable. But, uh, but anyway, I mean, you hear you hear what they when I say they, I mean media, talking heads in Manhattan, which is CNN, MSNBC, uh, and ABC. That you're the crazies. You're crazy because you you uh, because because maybe you think Trump had a point, and that's why I was shocked this morning when the CEO of Chase was telling the hosts on CNBC on the the Adult Network where they talk about money and stuff that uh, you know you got to be real careful on your MAGA disrespect because you know Trump got a few things right. It's everywhere. It's not just Silicon Valley. So we've got this great hand. But when people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump and they think they're voting and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. Uh, and but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. Now, if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. Mm -hmm. He grew the economy quite well. China, China ta virus. Tax reform worked. Mm -hmm. He was right about some of China. I don't. Th I don't like no, what he did. No, I said China virus. Yeah, I understand. When he, when he, yeah. he may have been right. He, he, and I don't like how he said things about I Mexico. I don't like. But he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues, and that's why they're voting for him. And you, you'll never hear that on, on any other NBC outlet. Certainly not uh, MSNBC. But uh, Jamie Dimon is a smart guy because he. Uh, I, I, I don't know if he hangs out in a blue-collar bar or something, but, I mean, he's right about that. He's completely right, and you're never going to hear that uh, in a wargaming session with the re-elect um, Biden campaign because uh, you'd have to admit that maybe 75 million people have a point. Um, so uh, there's there's that. And the the president, they're, they're freaking out because uh, by the president— Agreeing to tougher immigration policies, they're they're admitting that maybe the Republicans have a point. But the big picture here, uh, the the chess play would be right now in January. You do what it takes to get Republican votes on that funding bill. Okay, by November it's no longer an issue. If you're smart, that's what you do right now. But the teenagers, the one, who are the ones to, who are the ones who walked out in protests of Biden's uh, Gaza policy or whatever? Did that already happen? Uh, which time? I, I mean, this week. Yeah, it's like Reagan would have fired them, like the air traffic controllers. Um, no, you don't walk off the job to protest government policy. You execute government policy, or you take, or you quit. It's that simple. Um, but. Uh, the immigration deal being crafted in the Senate would limit migrants' ability to claim asylum at the southern border. So there's these 
red herring where they're saying, well, uh, Obama uh, deported more people than Trump ever did. Well, they turned people away at the border, which is you know, good for them. I wish that's, that's what was going on um, now. But what this administration did was they broadened the ability for anyone to ask for asylum and not be deported, be given um, notice to appear and then free in the country. That it was a has been a rare earth super magnet to people from around the world to come here because you're at a point. Everyone's wanted to come to America for 100 years, but you had to ask permission. Now you're at a point where you just have to physically somehow get to the real grand before they change the policy. Because they're going to change the policy because this is unacceptable. Look at what it's led to with 300,000 people in December alone. Uh, and, and this is an admission that the Biden policy has been wrong. And it's just uh, like I say, as a chess player, you do it now. You sacrifice the night now and then learn to deal with it five moves, ten moves from now. But the 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 little dreamy-eyed uh, people that are on his his uh, advisory, from AOC to Rashida Tlaib and the rest of them, they're saying, no, don't concede that there's anything wrong at the border. That there's nothing wrong at the border. Um, and this is why it, deep down, even though they're, they're beginning to impeach Mayorkas uh, today, it's not his policy. He can be the empty vessel that he is and, and execute a good policy. He's just given a, a bad policy. If you impeach him and he's gone, then the, the, you get a new person. And that might be the end of the issue. So uh, there's that. I don't know about this. On the, I didn't, I didn't um, buy a phone in time to do this, but... Um, I really, I trust it slash don't trust it, but the new Samsung phone has an automatic built-in AI language translator. Wow. But, but the thing is, though, that's an app you can get. What do you mean AI translator? I mean, you, you can switch it to Flemish. And you can be from France, or oh, you I can see. be from okay. Philly. Yeah, so I mean, a live translator. You've seen those commercials where, like, some guy is just holding the phone, talking into it, and then it, it translates in real time to some Frenchman who walks away, throws it in a fountain, and eats a croissant, and, and all that. But anyway, it's a uh, it's a new feature. Um, <clears throat> and uh, reviewer says, "Hello," I say. My father's 87th birthday is coming up, and I was hoping to make a reservation for September 13th at 9:30 voice on the other end asks for my name. I give it to her. Then comes the complication. Hey, this is library. Dad has a gluten sensitivity, so could they prepare him a gluten-free meal that evening? Yes, it's possible, she says, except I don't really hear her say that because she's speaking Korean. The phone I'm using is one of Samsung's new Galaxy S24 models, and it does other languages, by the way. Not not just Hankook, but um, uh, so anyway, that's an interesting feature sounds like the death of learning new languages though i uh, so anyway we'll uh, parse that check out your texting right after this 800-465-8770 on the practice thursday talk to you in a second am 770 ktth
Google Translate, AM 770, KTTH, uh, Brian but this is different. They're talking about in real time. You're on the phone with the new Samsung, and you're saying, but my my dad has a gluten allergy or whatever, and it translates you in uh, real time. That's pretty wild. Yeah, so I, I'm trying to translate. I have it spelled, and then she pronounces it here. Let me get to that. Iran. A number of terrorists were killed during the intelligence-based operation codenamed Markbar Sarmachar. Okay, so I'm I'm I spelled it Markbar Sarmachar, and I'm I'm just wondering. Okay, you're doing the press conference in English, and that's Urdu. It has a translation. What is it? So I put it in, and then I had to flip it back and, and copy and paste it. So Markbar Sarmachar uh, in Urdu means. Deadly boss. Deadly boss. Huh. A pretty good name. Beats the crap out of, you know, like, joint endeavor, uh, which sounded like a Cheech and Chong operation in the peacekeeping mission in the Balkans. But anyway, Deadly Boss. That sounds like a, uh, a martial arts movie. Deadly Boss. Starring some Pakistani pilot as an actor or whatever. But So there you go. So, so. But that's that's been in existence. I think Google Translate's been around for five years or more. Sounds about right. Yeah, <clears throat> um, and it just gets better. It's a collective artificial intelligence because people improve it. It improves with local dialects and all that. Well, it's so great because. But it's not AI. We're speeding up the process to becoming a one world order. I'm really excited about that. Well, it's deadly. Once boss. we no longer are inhibited by difference in language. Deadly boss. Yeah. Then the pentaverate really has its opening. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, I have curated nothing. But that's not going to stop us from checking the texting. I've curated something. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. So I've um, better to curate and not need it than need it and not curate. Like, like uh, I'm an example. From right, 310. So Brian and Greg, there's a story today in the Daily Mail US from Ukraine about a Bradley IFV killing three BMP2s with two, 25 millimeter armor piercing rounds. Then the Bradley killed a Russian T90 tank with precise shooting. Doesn't the T90 have enough armor to defeat 25 millimeter AP rounds, Brian? I saw that video yesterday. I I'll, too. I'll post it um, on. Rumble uh, for you, KTH uh, listeners. No, turns out the T90, turns out the entire Russian tank industry is a grift. I mean, that's the only way to put it. The muscle memory from the Soviet Union was to skim something off the top and then personally profit from it. So you make the water pipe half, a, you know, three centimeters thinner or whatever, or you put less armor on the tank than it's advertised. And you, you roll a demonstration tank out to the range, and then the capitalist, uh, the idiot capitalists are firing, it looks like spitballs at the mighty Soviet tank. And then the tank that you make, that you mass produce, is a POS. Because it's funny, the Ukrainians, now with two years of armor warfare experience under their belts, you know, finally fighting Russian tanks uh, in, in, in more than what they were they were made to last about eight minutes in combat, and that that appears to be above average. But the Ukrainians are, are doing really well with what they've got, but they can't get the Western tanks enough or fast enough. But it's crazy because the American, the Bradley fighting vehicle, 
was not meant to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Russian T-90. You would have been laughed out of Fort Knox if you had said, I bet you a couple of Bradley 25-millimeter rounds will take out a T-90. Well, now we're seeing that better crews and better vehicles will always win. And uh, anyway, it's a pretty pretty amazing. It's an aerial, uh, really high-definition uh, drone piece of footage about two minutes long of some, some Uke uh, Bradley crew is playing hide-and-seek with a Russian tank and three Russian piece-of-crap uh, armored personnel carriers. Uh, it's uh, it's the, the, the Russian, what's called the BMP, which literally means armored personnel carrier. And that's what the Russians call the, I mean, the Ukrainians call the, the Bradleys, the Bradley BMP. Um, but the Russian version is a complete tin can. I'd I mean, like to take out those tanks. Yeah, you would. And so, uh, and I mean, to the point where the rear door, they store the fuel in the rear doors of this vehicle, right? They make the rear doors out of magnesium, like a highway flare. And so anyway, it's everything wrong with their designs that we saw in the Gulf War. And we thought, well, maybe it must be the Iraqis. It must be bad crews in good vehicles. No, bad crews in bad vehicles look like Desert Storm. It's and science. So uh, thank you for curating that one. From the 805, I was an SRO in high school for four years. I think that means student resource officer, perhaps. Cluster overdoses are a thing, Brian. Usually a Friday before Christmas break or spring break. The first one reported after third period, up to five kids down by noon. Um, yeah, the State Department of Health is going to equip uh, every high school and middle school in Washington with two Narcans. And, and like I say, my daughter takes two by herself. Um, I would say my advice would be at, at start at 10 and then add because, you know, you're, you're not going to get just one. You have to assume your worst case scenario, just like you have to, you know, worst case scenario with school shooter or whatever. Worst case scenario is a kid on the Friday before, you know, the big game on, you know, the Friday night there at home field. He brings his dad's Percocets he's, because his brother got them, but they turn out to be not Percocet but half fentanyl. And so you get 17 ODs or 11 ODs. What, are not what, what if you have 10 already and there's an 11th kid? Um, so anyway, I, I just now that we sort of cross that Rubicon, just assume the worst and have a box full of them because yes, some kid is going to bring them and then other kids, uh, that, you know, One's going to take it right then because they're sore from weightlifting. And, and that would be best case scenario because that would indicate right, right then and there, whoever took those blue M30 pills, you got bad Percocet or whatever it is. Putting Narcan in every public school seems necessary and obvious at this juncture, but it also helps us to avoid the much more important conversation, which is, why is there such wide acceptance of drug use uh, amidst so many education institutions in this day and age? And that's a tougher conversation, uh, which leads to some uncomfortable answers. Yeah, and, and that's why I would just urge people, don't waste my time with, it's a shame it's come to this. That's, which is that's obvious. A, that's a given. Yeah. Yeah, that's assumed before you're talking about putting Narcan in the high schools, you're supposed to have already thought, oh, well, here we are. Well, but putting Narcan there is a Band-Aid on a hemorrhaging wound. Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely. Speaking. From um, the 509, Brian, farm diesel only eliminates the road tax. It's still expensive right now, so about a dollar less than green diesel. And equipment uses lots of diesel. One combine can burn 200 gallons a day. The amount of crop harvested in that day sequestered 200 cars worth of CO2 or one climate activist complaining. Well, go fling manure at Inslee's mansion. <laughs> it's like a German farmer. Uh, five for one. How do the Sherman tanks do so well against the German Panzer tanks? Th- this is not Brian's World War II uh, uh, trivia contest study hour. Okay, I wish it was. From the two hundred six. Hey guys, I don't have Iran Pakistani war on my twenty twenty four bingo card. And from the two hundred six, Brian, can you ex- please explain your NATO statement saying they don't need to pay rent and what that means compared to other NATO countries not paying their fair share? Well, and there's no, no such thing as a fair share. There's a guideline. And if they don't pay it, they're not kicked out of NATO and they're not kicked off of Europe. Get out of here, Luxembourg. That's not how it works. Um, it's a collective security. Everyone has to pay their proportionate equal share. We've all agreed that's 2%. But 2% of America, we're paying like 4%, okay, because it's a business here. It's an industry. We are defending Europe, and we have been since 1991. We just haven't said it. Um, wait, what, what, is that what they're talking about? Get off my lawn, Estonia. Yeah. (laughs) What what do I have to explain? Explain your NATO statement saying they don't need to pay rent and what that means compared to other NATO countries not paying for it. And and that's the thing when, when Trump was calling it, treating it like, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a renter who was in arrears. That's not what it is. That's not how it works. But what he did do that and and it was funny because all of the liberal Democrat foreign policy people were like, because you don't say it out loud. He was saying it out loud. He was saying you're free riders. You're you're getting you're getting over on the United States. You're taking advantage of the U.S., Germany, France, Italy, and all that. He said it out. He said the uncomfortable part out loud. Everybody in uniform knows that's the case, but they can't say it. And <clears throat> seeing America do the heavy lifting. Um, and, and it was good he did because now w- when they started hearing that out of America, they started, they started realizing, oh, you know, what if one day um, they're not here forever? And what would they do? Well, okay, NATO is a treaty, and that treaty was ratified by the Senate. You don't just walk away, okay? So, so there's that. They don't understand that. Most people don't understand that. Um, NATO, I think NATO is really good. It, it's, a, it, it, uh, you know, having done a NATO mission— um, you get frustrated as an American that everyone is borrowing American vehicles and whatever. The mission in Afghanistan was called International Security Assistance Force. The joke was that it, it stood for I saw Americans fighting. Okay, that was a NATO mission. Um, but it is the way it is. And I, I think the guideline I would have everyone remember is the first Secretary General of NATO, uh, Lord Ismay, a, a British uh, field marshal. After he uh, after World War II, he was once asked, "What's the point of NATO?" And his answer was, "To keep the Americans in, the Russians out, and the Germans down." <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, he he said that's the quiet part. He said it out loud. It's never been said uh, since. But uh, uh, but making them pay when they can afford it, they can afford lavish social welfare lifestyles, but not an aircraft carrier. You know, sorry, it doesn't work like that. Uh, meanwhile. Our, our teeth are falling out, but we have 13 carrier groups and uh, at least uh, put soldiers in the field. There's that. Uh, back in the second AM 770 KTTH. You have my curiosity. 
but now you have my attention. I'm 770 KTTH, Brian Suits here. I realized there's a dangling string, and I followed it. It was the Kirk Cousins curse. We, I, I never closed that out. After talking about the Kirk Cousins curse an hour ago during our wide-ranging hot sports talk and what's the best game of the weekend and the whole thing, um, the Kirk Cousins curse uh, is this. If your team has lost to a Kirk Cousins quarterbacked Vikings or Redskins team, in the last 12 years, you didn't even make it to the Super Bowl, much less win it. Well, the 49ers lost to the Kirk Cousins helmed um, Vikings this year, uh, 22 to 17. You like that? So I don't know. We'll see if that works out this year. It's like the Madden curse, which is, I don't know. Is that, has anyone ever broken that? Sports is all about superstition, right? I know, like that that Fanville Dr. Pepper ad where Caleb Williams is on the cover of, of, of the magazine, supposed to be Sports Illustrated, and the video game. I'd say it's most prominent in baseball, though. It's like you don't change your underwear for like three months or something. Or uh, hockey is gross. Hockey? Yeah. yeah. You get a lot more sweaty in hockey, I think. Yeah, and they don't, they wear everything. They don't wash anything. And the playoffs Ew. go for like eight months. Or, or right. whatever. Yeah. It's a per- perpetual hockey season. It's, I mean, that, it, that must reek. But uh, anyway, so that's the that's the story that uh, no, no team that's ever lost to him in the regular season has even made it to the superb owl. Curses are made to be broken. I think San Francisco will probably be the team to do it. Yeah, I want to see the list on, on that. Sound, you know, sound like he's a juggernaut or whatever. Well, uh, anyway, I'm um, in d- distinct peril of sounding very competent this morning. I need to end that. Um, the, the things that I was talking about with, with NATO and uh, America f- um, floating the boat, I mean, you know, literally for international trade, this is the stuff that Americans don't consider when you live your life in America, when you're a hippie up at Montlake or, uh, you know, and you're protesting uh, whatever America's uh, blind support of Israel or whatever, you don't understand America's role in the world. And if it's a mystery to you, why somebody would, you know, sell the family ox and fly from Angola to Nicaragua to walk to America, then there's a whole bunch of things that you don't know. And and if, if, you, um, if you look at my Twitter banner, uh, there is a, it's a true story. There was a uh, UN, early on when Romania uh, finally helped the Russians pack up and get out because the Warsaw Pact uh, ended, there were uh, a couple organizational meetings in, in the UN uh, involving former Warsaw Pact countries that were now their own countries. And they all deferred to the United States. 
the Baltics, Estonia, Latvia, um, Lithuania, um, the Poles, back when it was Czechoslovakia, the, the Czechs, uh, the, the Hungarians, they, they all did. And there was a, uh, in, in one UN meeting, a, a French minister was mocking, was critiquing Romania for their blind support of the United States in the UN, because basically those countries would say, in the 90s, they'd say, how do you want us to vote? And the response from the Romanian, and it's on the record, in the United Nations to the French minister was, after Romania enjoys several decades of prosperity like France, then we will have the luxury of taking the United States for granted. You never hear that. But just know that's what they think of us. And if you've never traveled, you know, you don't need a passport. You can just, you know, trust me on this one. We're universally respected. Maybe we're hated, but we're hated by people that probably, if you handed them a ticket and a visa, would take it in a heartbeat and give you a kiss. You know, the fact that the United States is the guarantor of worldwide navigation is the reason you're you're getting cheap electronics or a cheap European car that's not made here or, or, or whatever. And the United States is, is is and we and that's the thing they expect us not to act like an equal, and you can't lead from behind, but to lead from the front, and that's why like China is running out of people. We're never going to run out of people ever. There's always a reason to come here, and we're always going to have workers. And but we just get to pick and choose, please. You know who comes in, um, and but all the little things that you don't see on a daily basis, like. The world's reserve currency. Do you know what a pain in the ass it would be if we if the dollar was not the world reserve currency? Gigantic. It would literally cost you uh, at any place where you bought a Belgian flat screen or, or whatever. The, the fact that you're reaching in your pocket and that's the world's reserve currency and you did nothing for that. It's a gigantic Benny for being here. The fact that we do business in the world's default language, good for us. And that the world, when they learn English, they don't learn English English. They, they learn American English. So there's a whole bunch of things that I wish people knew. But that was one that I didn't know today was that you can fit the rest of the world's expenditure uh, into open seaways into Americas. America floats the boat. Uh, for the uh, for the cost of freedom of navigation, and then I've always it's funny one of the one of the best rhetorical exercises I, I, that that I love having is what would the world look like in one year without America? It, there would be piracy, there would be pandemics, you know, all of that. That uh, a year without America and the world would be in chaos. So there's that. Um, Anyway, Owen 2. Uh, we'll uh, be back tomorrow for their actual Friday. Um, and so today you have, in, down in Olympia in Thurston County, you have the uh, the challenge to Trump being on the Washington State um, ballot, which has to go to print pretty soon. Um, no projection on that. Also, the Supreme Court will, at some point... Uh, they will hear the oral argument for the historic homelessness case that is gripping Seattle and other West Coast cities. This is uh, Johnson versus Grants Pass. Uh, the Ninth Circuit Court uh, decided in 2022. It's gone to the Supreme Court. They declined to hear it. This is not Boise. This is not the you can't tell someone to get the hell off the sidewalk unless you can offer them a free another cot somewhere or a bed or whatever. But this is a different one. We'll talk about it tomorrow. 
That is on in in, in the hopper. Uh, I, I say for uh, your your Friday and stuff. You like that? There's your uh, there's your Kirk Cousins curse um, and anything for the Italy order, Greg. I'm spent. I'm spent too. So uh, let's be spent together. We'll be back uh, tomorrow at 6 a.m. So listen, won't you please? Um, Brian Suits here on Twitter at Dark Secret Place. It's like a all day long Brian Suit show. So how about that? How about them apples? Uh, back uh, in 21 short hours here on AM 770 KTTH. Stay classy, planet Earth.